We are continuing our series, Follow Me, and this is one that we did several years ago, and we just decided that the message was so important that it needed to be repeated. There are a couple that we're going to do like that in 07. Um, Margins is another one. As we get into fall, we're going to repeat that one. We just believe that those messages are so vital, so key to, to what being a good Christian is about and following Jesus is about. But let's face it, when it comes to following Jesus... Most of us, when we came to Jesus, <laughs> we were may, way more worried about what we were going to get from Jesus than what Jesus was going to get from us. You know what I'm saying? We, we, uh, we, were, we had our own agenda. And when we came to Christ, we, that agenda was in full effect. You know, basically, pretty much, we know this. When we came to Jesus, I want to go to heaven. I know that, right? I know I want to go to heaven. And, and also on top of that, I've got an agenda that I'm hoping that God can help me out with in some way. And, you know, at some time or another, maybe in your prayer life, maybe your prayer life has sounded something like this. Lord, I've got this great idea. And if you could just see fit to get on board with my good idea, then we're going to be golden. It's all going to be good. God, I've got a boss. If you, could just, if you could just move him to Seattle, that'd be great. I'd love it. If you just move the boss to Seattle and then I won't have any more problems and life's going to be good for me and God, you just need to get on board with my plan and if you'll get on board with my plan, we're going to be good. It's going to be awesome and I'll follow you to the ends of the earth. And we start to use our prayers and we start to use our faith and our obedience in ways, kind of in a way to lasso God to be able to get him to do the things that we want to do. You ever prayed prayers that sounded something like this? Of course, we're too spiritual to just be this blunt with it. But have you ever prayed a prayer that sounded something like this? Lord, if you'll do this thing I'm talking about, if you could see clear to get me that job promotion, then, you know, tithe could be happening down the road. I mean, you know, see how we do? We, we, we try to make these deals with God. Like, if, if you'll do for me, then I'll do for you. And we don't realize that God is saying, no, 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 no. You honor me. You honor me. And then I honor you. Now, we just talked about that a few minutes ago. This is a church that more and more understands the idea of you honor God, God comes behind that. Am I right? We have to honor God. But see, we don't, we, we, our prayer life sometimes is, is this, it's backhanded and we do this thing with God and God, if you just see clear to do this, then maybe I'd come along with a tithe, make you really proud of me. God says, I don't play that. I'm not doing it that way. The truth is, is that probably most of us have come to God with the idea that I'm more interested, I'm in this more for me than I'm in this for you. That if we looked at God, we'd say, you know what, God, I love you. But if I'm going to be gut level honest with you, I've come to you really seeking more for me and trying to figure out what I can get out of this than what I can give to you. I mean, at some point, we've been there that's part of the maturation process of being a christian i think you start out as a christian in some regard trying to figure out what god's going to do for you and yet as you grow the hopefully the 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 goal for you is that you get to a place where you say no i don't i don't i'm not in this for me i really want to be in this for god and i want to see um you know what what i can do for him but see we've got these little budding little kingdoms of our own and we watch over them and we protect them and you know we God in spite of all of our I don't know how I want to put this in spite of our motives many times God is incredibly patient with us I mean you would think that the way we approach God and the way we treat him sometimes that God would just flick us off the planet and go okay that's it no more soup for you okay you're you're done but yet God puts up with and is amazingly patient with us 
And, and, he, and he puts up with us. He put up with the disciples. The disciples started their whole journey with Christ the exact same way. I mean, let's be honest. They were in it for them. They, they were more interested in what was in it for them than they were interested in what they could do for Jesus. They came into this thing the very same way that we did to see what they could get out of it. You know what the biggest argument was for the disciples? You know what they fought over more than anything else? And, and you know, you'd like to think that they were smart enough not to do this around Jesus. But what they talked about and what they fought about more than anything was they would have these conversations among them and the big conversation was who was gonna be the greatest in the kingdom? That was, that was the thing that they fought about all the time. It was a constant, uh, you know, point of, of conflict and, and subject of conversation who will sit on the right and left of Jesus when he comes into his kingdom that's one of the things that they talked about and they would argue about it finally Peter and you just gotta love Peter because Peter is just us isn't he I mean Peter there's no shut off valve on Peter's mouth it just kind of he thinks it and says it you know and imagine how many times Peter went through life saying did I say that out loud he, he, he just did. He just, it just came out of Peter to the point that one day he had a conversation with Jesus and he basically, pretty much paraphrasing, he said, look, Lord, you know, I, I'm not just going to be straight with you. I'm just going to tell you what I think and, and how it's hitting me. But um, Lord, we've left an awful lot of stuff here and we've, we've um, you know, we've laid down a lot. We've sacrificed probably some, some, uh, some income and we've given up our trade and all this just to follow you and so lord you know without making it sound selfish i'm really wondering what's in it for me what is in it for me and peter just came right out and said it jesus in his incredibly patient way doesn't say that's it i'm getting 12 new guys because you guys don't get it you don't understand. I can't work with people like this. You know, you expect him to be the, the director that claps his hands and says, work with me, people. You know, uh, it, it, you, you just wait for Jesus to do that. Jesus never seems to do that. What we see is what we saw last week and what we're con- going to continue to see is that over time, one by one, these men, even though they started out with motives that were not entirely pure and they didn't even understand everything that was happening to them, and God love them, you know, they, they were doing the best they could, but they started out, very immature where Christ was concerned, but over time, they were able to subvert their agendas, lay down their missions, lay down their ideas and their ideals, and they were able to get on board with what it was that Jesus was trying to do. Each was able to lay those things down and take up the cause of Christ. It didn't happen overnight. That's one of the things I want you to hear. Didn't happen overnight. It didn't happen the day they left nets by the seashore. It didn't happen the day that, uh, you know, that, that Jesus called the Matthew from the tax collector's table. It didn't happen that day. But over time, they got to a place where they were able to lay down their own agenda. They were able to make God's agenda their agenda. And then they were able, you know, Jesus was able to deliver to them the ultimate agenda. And Jesus said, look, here's my agenda. My agenda is that you would go to the ends of the earth and that you would carry the gospel to the ends of the earth and that you would change the world with the message that I love them, that I've died for them, and I want them to be my followers. And I know you're ready now because I can see that you're in this for me and you're not in this for you anymore. He was able to see that in the disciples. When he saw that, he took them to the side and he said, here's what I want you to do. Here really is my will. Here is my agenda. Lock into it, carry it forward, and do it. And they were all able to do that over time, except for one. His name was Judas. You know what Judas' problem was? Judas' problem was the same problem that 
most of us have in, in conflict. Conflict, at the source of conflict, what you'll find at the source of all conflict is expectation. If you've got marriage conflict, there's, a, there's, there's conflict because there's expectation. If you've got a conflict with a student and you're a teacher, you have that conflict because there's some expectation. As a pastor, there's certain expectation and we're fine until I don't meet the expectation and then there's conflict. If you've ever dealt with a youth pastor, and I was a youth pastor for many years, and generally the source of my conflicts were I did not meet up with an expectation. Sometimes that was my fault because I just didn't deliver. Other times the expectation was entirely too high, and, and there's no way Jesus was going to meet that expectation, and he would have had conflict. So, you know, conflict is, the, is at, the, at the source of it, the source of the conflict is conflict expectation that's what Judas problem was Judas had an expectation of Jesus and he, he he there were certain things that he wanted done he had an agenda he really you know for Judas Jesus was a means to an end for Judas he was a tool to be used Jesus was and in spite of what he saw and in spite of what he heard he was unable to lay down that private personal agenda and simply follow Jesus unfortunately he was not able to make the turn he you know, he, like the rest of the disciples, he had a picture of what life with Jesus was going to be like. And that was his expectation. And when it didn't get met, he had problems. See, we're that way when we become Christians. We, we come to Christ and we have an expectation for what coming to Christ is going to do for my marriage. We have an expectation of what it's going to do for my professional life or for my relationships or, or for my kids and my family and my, you know, maybe my parents. He came into this thing with a picture, and his picture pretty much was what he perceived the Old Testament as having taught. He thought that, that the Messiah was going to come and, and, and basically declare a kingdom much the same way that David had a kingdom. Well, in David's kingdom, there was a king, there were lieutenants, there was armies, there were commanders, there were all kinds of people. There was power in that kingdom. And so Judas had this expectation of Jesus that one day he would throw off the, the rabbi robes and he would declare Messiah, he would become the king, and he would kick all the foreigners out of Jerusalem and out of Israel, and that he would restore everything the way it was meant to be, and everything would be golden. And he would be around, and he would be one of the generals. He would be one of the lieutenants, one of the guys, you know, in the shadow of the throne. You ever heard that expression? Power lies not in the throne, power lies in the shadow of the throne. He thought he would be in the shadow of the throne. And so there was an expectation. And he watched, and as Jesus uh, moved about, Jesus seemed to have certain characteristics that a Messiah would have. You know, he's watching Jesus from a distance, and he's thinking, well, you know, I can, I can see some areas where Jesus really looks like the Messiah. But then there were some things that really didn't look very messianic and didn't look very kingly. For, for one, Jesus was way too passive. Way too passive. Jesus was never going to be a great military leader, as, as Judas sized him up, he said, you know, this guy does not have what it takes to command armies. I mean, he just, doesn't, he just doesn't have that. Jesus was a little too kind to the Romans. No matter how hard they tried, they could not get Jesus riled up enough that he would go head to head with the Romans. Jesus just didn't do that. He wasn't very organized, and man, can I sympathize with that. You know, if you're going to set up a kingdom, you've got to be organized. You've got to, you've got to break them up into groups, and you've got to set people over each one of those, and you've got to have this organization thing happening. And, and Jesus, you know, he never got beyond the one group. He had the 12 guys, and that, that's, you know, come on, Jesus. Aren't you, it, it takes more than that to do a kingdom. It takes more. You've got armies, and you have all this government stuff. You're not ready for any of that stuff. He was always making the Jewish leaders mad. 
Every time they turned around, he's made another Jewish leader mad. Here's the problem with that. Make the Romans mad or make the Jewish leaders mad, but don't make them both mad. Jesus was ticking everybody off. And then finally, the thing that that really just sent Judas over the edge, really, where Jesus was concerned, is that Jesus did not seem to be interested in in building up a war chest. I mean, if you're going to... Rebellion and revolution takes money. You don't just, you know cause a revolution with no cash flow you've got to have money and jesus didn't seem to it seemed like every time judas turned around jesus was either uninterested in money or giving it away or or, you know leaving it on the table or whatever turning it over you know kicking over money tables but he wasn't putting any in his pocket and judas is thinking to himself how in the world are you ever going to start a kingdom how are you ever going to initiate a revolution if you don't have a war chest and just tick judas off and it looked like Jesus was the Messiah. It looked like he was the one they'd been waiting for. And here Judas, along with these other guys, has made a three-year investment in following Jesus around. And now all of a sudden things are not going in the right direction. Judas had an expectation and it wasn't being met. The other 11 seemed to be able to make the transition. Judas couldn't do it. And he held on to the dream and he clung to the idea that Jesus one day was going to throw off all these robes and take on the one robe that mattered most and he would set himself up and Judas would be there and be a part of it. We know that the disciples thought about this. In fact, James and John (laughs) had a conversation with Jesus and they basically went to him and said, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, do you think it'd be possible for James and I to be able to sit on your left and on your right? Imagine the audacity to walk up to Jesus and say something like that. And they hung close to him for what they could get out of the deal. That's really where they were for the longest time. But as time went on, it became very apparent that that was not the plan, that Judas was not going to get what he wanted. Jesus was a means to an end for Judas. He was an additive. You know, much the same way that you have a car, and some of you probably are more purposeful about this than others, but you go buy oil additives, and you put the oil additive in your car to maximize the oil's performance. Some of you probably put gas additive in your car to maximize the performance of your engine and and get the most out of it. That's kind of how Judas looked at Jesus. I'm going to add him in, and I'm going to maximize the performance on my agenda. That's really how he looked at Jesus. He was a means to an end. He was a tool. He was an additive component. Eventually, this thinking destroyed his life. Matthew chapter 26 is where I want us to look this morning. Matthew chapter 26, we're going to begin at verse 6. And it is here that we find the event, the event that drove Judas over the edge. This is the thing that when it happened, Judas said, okay, that's it. Everybody out of the pool because I'm done, all right? He he was mad at Jesus because he saw this event, and and I'm going to try and draw it out for you. Jesus is in Bethany at the home of some friends, and Judas has really finally just had enough. And, and, you know, this is where their values begin clashing. uh, Matthew 26, verse 6. Matthew 26, verse 6. While Jesus was in Bethany, in the home of a man known as Simon the leper, how'd you like to have that name, Simon the leper? How you doing? I'm Simon the leper. A woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. Verse 8, when the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at, high, at a high price, and the money given 
to the poor. Now, you go to the book of John, and just you guys can just stay here. I'll read this to you from John. But you get a little different perspective from John because you're going to hear Judas. This is Judas speaking. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. Verse 6 says this. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief, as keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. So you get a different picture of Judas then at that point. So get a picture. Jesus is sitting around with his disciples and with some close friends. And here comes this woman, Mary, and she walks in with this alabaster jar, very expensive jar, very expensive perfume inside. And apparently Lazarus and Mary and Martha were were pretty well-to-do. And she comes in with this alabaster jar, and, and, and this thing would be worth, you know, I don't know what you make in a year. We're all over the map in that whole thing. Somewhere between thirty and sixty or $70,000. Let's just, let's just pick a number. Let's just pick $45,000, okay? Imagine being in a room. Somebody walks into that room, and they snap the top off this alabaster jar, and you know that the worth of that jar and the perfume, the perfume inside, is worth forty-five thousand dollars and they begin to pour it out on someone's head judas is sitting back judas is sitting back and he's watching this and he's he's incredulous he just it's like i cannot believe what i'm seeing did i really just see this woman take forty five thousand dollars worth of perfume and pour it on the head of jesus please tell me please somebody wake me up from this dream and tell me that he, she really didn't just do that. See, and, and it's all under the guise of, well, this money, this could have been taken and sold and money given to the poor. That is not what was on Judah's plate at all. And they become indignant. They begin to complain. And Jesus answers their complaint. You've got to love Jesus. Verse 10, aware of this, Jesus said to them, why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Now see, Judas, again, this is not sitting well with Judas. I mean, would you stop talking about burial? We can't have a kingdom. You can't be a king if you're talking about dying and being buried. Nobody wants to serve that kind of king, Jesus. Just knock it off. I mean, what are you thinking? You're, you're killing, you're, total buzzkill on the whole kingdom thing, okay? Because we're trying to get this whole thing ramped up. You keep talking about burial. Nobody wants to listen to that, Jesus. Verse 13, I tell you the truth. Wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will, will also be told in memory of here. And here I am, centuries later, preaching about this, fulfilling the prophecy that jesus laid out verse 14 then one of the 12 the one called judas iscariot went to the chief priests and asked what are you willing to give me now here i want to stop you because i want you to see something we've just had this event recounted for us okay and then we come to verse 14 the first word in verse verse 14 is what then that word is used to describe the very next thing that judas did He saw this thing happen with the whole alabaster jar and the perfume. Then he goes straight to the chief priests and there's a price on Jesus' head. 
You see, this was the thing that pushed him over the edge. This was the thing that ticked him off. He said, okay, that's it. I'm done. my, My expectations have gone unmet for the last time. We're not doing this. Then one of the 12, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and asked, what are you willing to give me if I hand him over to you? So they counted out for him 30 silver coins. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. Jesus, if you are not gonna do it my way, you have left me no choice but to take matters into my own hands. This is an amazing story. It's a story about a person. How could someone begin their their ministry with Jesus so dedicated and then end up at such an extreme opposite end of the spectrum? You say, how in the world does that happen? It happens the same way you've seen it happen when you've been to this church or some other church, watch two people say, I love you, gonna be married to you forever. Next thing you know, you know, 10, 12, 15 days, months, years. I mean, you know, who knows how long it takes, but, but the next thing you know, they can't be in the same room together. And you say, how in the world did that happen? Here's how it happens. The incredible, incredible power of unmet expectation. That's how it happens. Judas has had an expectation and Jesus didn't follow through. Judas had an opportunity when he saw things not going his way. You know what Judas could have done? Judas had an opportunity. He could have said, you know what? This is not going the way I thought it was going to go. I'm I'm a little ticked off about it. Not real happy about it, but you know what? You're in charge, God, not me. He he, he had the opportunity to get in line and say, you know, Lord, I really saw this going a whole different direction. Nonetheless, I'm in your camp and I'm in your corner and let's go. Let's ride. It's it's your way or the highway and I'm, I'm with you. So... He had that opportunity. Instead, he chose to use Jesus as an additive. In essence, what Judas said to Jesus is, Lord, son of God, (laughs) I think my plan's better than your plan. I don't think you've got a very good plan. I think you need to listen to me. I think we need to do it my way. You know what the tragedy of Judas' life is? Judas, he didn't get his way and he followed with, you know, kind of a, a mixed motive and he, he didn't get his way. And when he turned his back on Jesus and he took matters into his own hands, look, look at this. This is a sad story. Turn over to Matthew 27, verse 1. It's just like the next page over. Early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people came to the decision to put Ju- Jesus to death. They bound him led him away and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw what Jesus was, that, that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 silver coins to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us, they replied. That's your responsibility. Verse five, so Judas threw the money into the temple and left, then he went away and hanged himself. What a waste. What a tragedy. He follows Jesus with mixed emotions. He doesn't get his way. He turns his back on Jesus and betrays him when he doesn't get his way. And Judas learned a lesson that I hope we don't have to go through the way he did to learn the lesson. We, we seem to be stubborn and we seem to learn the lessons the same way but I hope we learn that Jesus is not an add-on he's not a means to an end he's not a tool for us to use Jesus is the son of God he's the Lord 
He's the master. He has the agenda. He has the master plan. And at some point in the process of following him, you have to take your agenda, which is not the agenda, understand. You have to take your motives, which are not the motives. You have to take your plan, which is not the plan, and you have to lay that down and you have to say, Lord, this is really not going the way I wanted it to go, but I'm going with you. And at that point, you will have to decide the same thing that Judas had to decide, and Judas came down on the wrong side of this equation, but you'll have to decide, am I in this for me or am I in this for Jesus? That's really, honestly, that is what, it, that's what, that is a, a, a flashpoint in the maturing, maturing process for every Christian, is the point at which you realize I am no longer in this for me that you would never come to church and say something like, I'm just not getting anything out of it. You know who says that? An immature Christian says that. Mature Christians, you show me a mature Christian, I will show you somebody, I don't care how bad the sermon is, I don't care how bad the music was, I don't care how unfriendly the church was, they will go to church, and if all they do is sit in their pew by themselves and read their Bible, they will get something. They'll find a way to connect with, because they understand it's what I'm bringing to God. It's not what God's bringing to me. You cannot have it both ways. Let me tell you this. No one ever wins a tug of war with God. <laughs> We've got, um, we, we have an ISU football coach that's going to church here now, and I'm developing a friendship with him, and I just love him. He's just a great guy. And on the way out of church this morning, he said, Brett, <laughs> Did you know Kid Rock sings a song? I, I got it. This will be the first time, I, probably the only place in all of America where a preacher is going to reference Kid Rock in a sermon, okay? But apparently he's got a lyric in one of his songs that says, your arms are too short to box with God. I like that. I like that. The gospel according to Kid Rock. Be, be, you know, be, <laughs> I'm sure it's not happening anywhere else in Terre Haute or probably in the world for that matter this morning. But, you know, he walked out. He's told me that. And I said, you know, I'm, I think I'm going to use that. He just kind of winked. Jesus is extremely patient. He is extremely flexible. But in the end, he will not be used as a means to your end. He's just not. Eventually, you have to choose to make him Lord of your life and that can be a very painful process. It is painful because at some point, you're going to have to lay something down that is very important to you. An idea, a motive, an agenda, something you've nurtured, something that's meant a lot to you, maybe for a long time, an ideal. And it's going to match up with something that beat up against something that Jesus has got going on and it's not going to be the same thing and you are going to be faced with the reality of okay this this is the point at which I lay this thing down I've dreamed about this for my whole life and God just told me it is not going to happen it's something that you've dreamed about it's something that you've hoped for you close your eyes you can feel it taste it or sense it It may possibly affect your job. It may affect your family or your marriage or your relationships, your friendships. You, 
you're in one and God says, I don't want you in that. Or you're in one and God says, I want you to stay. And you say, no, it's painful. I want away from it. It's, it could be any number of things. It may mean that you own a business and you know, you've got a master plan for your business and, and Lord, I, this is where we're going and I'm going to take it this way. And God says, no, 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 no. We're going this direction with this. We're not going that direction. But God, no, I, you know, I got a plan here. I know, God would say, I know about your plan, okay? I know all about your plan. We're not doing that. We're just not. We're going this way. See, now you're messing with my baby. I mean, this business is, I've poured my life into this business, God. I know you've poured your life into this business. I've poured my life into you. And I'm saying we're not doing that. It's at that point that you have to ask yourself the question, am I in this for me? Or am I in this for him? At some point, your agenda and his agenda are not going to line up. And it's at that point that you really are going to find out whose you really are. The message of Judas' life is that if you cling to your agenda, if you try to use the Lord Jesus Christ, you lose both ways because you're always going to be frustrated at following Jesus. That's the first thing. If you, if you, if you try to follow Jesus and live in this conflict of just you know, button, up against, button heads with him all the time and your agendas are just going at it, you're going to be frustrated. I'm telling you right now, it's much easier, and I, I mean, it's easy for me to say, but it's really not easy for me to do. I, listen, I struggle with this stuff just like you do. God, this is what I want. God says, I know that's what you want, but that's not happening. It's much easier when you just get to the place where you say, Lord, I don't understand it, but okay. I mean, I'm done fighting. And Jesus says, good. You ever had a child when they were little? and maybe even when they're big but but when they're little and they're just fighting you and you're bigger and stronger and you know you they're wanting to go out the door and you're not letting them go out the door or they're wanting you know to get down or you're not letting them get down and it's like when are you going to wake up and realize you're not going to beat me in this i'm bigger and stronger and smarter and and i'm mom or i'm dad and you're not getting down you're just not getting down and yet they fight and kick and scream don't they and you think to yourself you know when do they grow up and learn not to do that anymore well i ask you do we ever grow up and learn not to do that because we do that with jesus we're just more sophisticated about it and we generally don't throw our food but if you really push us we would (laughs) you'll either get very frustrated at following him or you will become very disillusioned and you will turn your back and you will walk away and you will betray god And if you think it's painful and stressful to lay your agenda down and follow Jesus, it is not nearly as painful and not nearly as stressful as taking matters into your own hands. And I've seen it. I've done it. I've experienced it. It's way more stressful to turn your back and do your own thing. It creates a whole new set of problems. See, whenever we make the decision, I'm going to walk away and I'm just basically going to look at God and say, God, you didn't do this fast enough. You didn't get on board with my thing quick enough. You know, um, you just weren't fast enough and I'm going to get what I want. Whenever we do that, we embrace behaviors and patterns and relationships that are self-destructive. 
You, you show me people that are in conflict and that have things going on in life that are not good. Generally speaking, what they've said is, God, I don't like your way, and I'm not going to do that, and I'm going to make my own decisions. And God says, look, you can do that if you want to, but I'm just telling you, you think it's stressful following me? You think it's painful trying to get on board with my agenda? You turn my agenda down, and you go do your own thing. And I'm telling you, I, I mean, it's, I've been there, and I've experienced this too. Brett, you are going to regret it. You're going to regret it. And they always complicate their life. Yeah, there are times it's painful to follow Jesus. I'm, yeah, it's hard. Following Jesus is the hardest thing I've ever tried to do in my life because it is a daily battle of, Lord, this is what I want. And God says, that is not going to happen. Really? Really? dang I was really hoping that was going to happen I know you I know but you turn your back on Jesus and it is a whole new level of pain and a whole new level of stress and see it doesn't matter whether you're single and, and you, you know you're thinking man I got to marry this one because I mean you know I'm looking at the age clock thing and I mean this could be the last train out of the station. If I don't get on this one, you know, God, this is the last one. And God's saying, it's not the last one. Do you trust me? I, I trust you, but God, you know, the bell is, is ringing and they're leaving. And I, God says, no, 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 not that one. I went through this with a really good friend of mine in Atlanta, Georgia, and she's married now to a great guy, and she's as happy as she can be. But I'm telling you, she watched train after train leave the station, and I've heard the, I've heard the, the pain in her voice and the anguish when she said, Brett, I, it is killing me. And one of the, I told her, I sent, she sent me a, a postcard that had a picture of her cutting her wedding cake with her, with her groom. I sent her an email. I said, I just got a picture that is one of my favorite pictures, and I've got it in my office. I opened my, my cabinet door. There it is, Beverly Petty cutting her wedding cake. And I don't know how many guys she watched leave the station. God's saying, that's not the one. Are you sure? I'm sure. Or you're married, and you're thinking, man, how do I stay in this? God, are you sure? I'm sure. I, but God, I want out. I don't, you staying in. You can make this work. I can make it work. I can, I can do it. You got to trust me. But I can make it work. Oh, God. It's painful. Yeah, it's painful now. But you leave it and you watch how painful it gets. Businessmen who who've got the deal and man I'm going to pull the trigger and God I just don't want you to see this one thing and God's saying don't do that don't do that but God if I can just get this one thing done then it's all going to be golden no because if you do that one thing you will have sacrificed something that you can't get back that's your integrity you're never going to look at yourself the same way I'm telling you don't do that and your will clashes with God's will teenagers and you're at school. And what's the one thing you don't want to be at school without friends? It's deadly. The worst thing that you can have happen to you at school. Parents, if you don't hear, listen to this. If your kids don't have friends at school, that's one of the worst things that can happen to them. But here's the danger, is that they will take any friend over having no friends. 
And I say this every now and then, teenagers, listen to me, it is way easier to make bad friends than it is to make good friends. It's way easier, way easier. And those bad friends can influence your life in ways and you will be sorry. But God says, listen, choose your friends wisely. Make sure you hold out for good friends, people that will lift you up, support you. When we turn our back on Jesus, it always complicates things. It intensifies the stress, the pain. That's the message of Judas, a follower who went bad, a follower who, you know, he went along with it and he followed with the wrong motives and he went along, but when the time came down to a decision, he'd had enough. And he took one last stab at kind of forcing this whole thing on Jesus and at at the end of the day, it did not work for him. Nobody wins a tug of war with God. Nobody. Are you in a tug of war with God right now? I'm going to give you a couple ways that you can know whether or not you're in a tug of war with God right now. One of them is if you would just examine your prayer life and look at the end of your prayer life, how do your prayers end? Do your prayers end? And Lord, not thy will, but my will be done. Because God, this is really what I want. We sound like our kids, don't we? Mom, I really want this. Yeah, but you really wanted one last week. Yeah, but this one's better. This one's really better. I'll take, well, yeah, I got one of those and you didn't take care. Oh, I'll take care of this one. We do that same kind of stuff with God. Or do your prayers end, thy will, God, thy will be done. Here's what I want, but. You know, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm going with you no matter what you say. C.S. Lewis said this, I don't pray to change God anymore. I pray and God changes me. You start looking at your prayer life in such a way that you want God to change you and you stop praying to change God's mind, you watch your prayer life take off. See, most of us don't like to pray. You know why we don't like to pray? Because we ask God for things, we present our agenda, he doesn't give us what we want, we say, see, doesn't work, told you, doesn't work. My prayers hit the ceiling and they come right back. Brett, God doesn't hear me pray. No, God definitely hears you pray. Here's the problem. You don't hear God talk back to you. And you don't hear God say, that is not in your best interest and and your motives are entirely wrong on that whole thing. And when you start to lock into my kingdom and what I'm about, you will begin to pray differently. C.S. Lewis had it right. I do not pray to change God anymore. I pray and God changes me. Another way to tell if you're in a tug of war with God, do you obey so that God will do something for you? We talked about this a little earlier. Lord, I'll, get a, I'll, you know, I'll do the whole tithe thing. If you can see clear to get me this promotion, that'd be great. Or God, I'll go to church every, I'll be at church every Sunday this month if we can just work out this new car thing, okay? Another way you can tell is, is, do you support God's work financially? And you say, oh, here he goes with the sermon on money. No, not really. But I'm just gonna tell you this. Jesus said this and not me. Jesus said, you show me where you spend your money and I'll show you what's important to you. And if you're spending your money on me, then I'll know that I'm important to you. But if you're gonna spend your money on a bunch of other stuff and I'm gonna come last, then it's gonna show up in the way you spend your money. I didn't make that up. Jesus said that, not me. Another way you can tell is that You can ask yourself, what is my biggest spiritual burden? 
What's my biggest spiritual burden? Generally speaking, for most of us, if we were to really boil down our prayer life, and I, I mean, I wouldn't want you to know what my biggest spiritual burden is sometime, because my spiritual burden, my biggest one, a lot of times has an awful lot to do with me. Has very little to do with evangelism. Has very little to do with the guy that I'm working with or the person that I see at the convenience store or my next door neighbor. I'm not burdened for them. I'm not burdened for a world that needs to know who Jesus is. I'm burdened about some little thing in my world. And my whole prayer life is, Lord, this is the thing that I've got going on. You hear that? I've got going on. And it's not, Lord, how do I reach this one? How do I get to this one? How do I make a difference in this little kid's life? Or how, how in the world can I reach out to my... We don't think that way. And we get into a tug of war with God because we've got an agenda. And God says, look, when you get on board with what I'm doing, all this other stuff falls away. gets way easier to follow me. Don't take matters into your own hands. No one has ever won doing that. God, you say, well, Brett, God's slow. God, if God is slow, God is slow for a reason. You say, well, Brett, God said no to me. If God said no to you, he said no for a good reason. Why can, why can we get to a place where we expect our kids to understand that? We don't understand that. You want your kids, to, when you say no, to just say, yes, sir, daddy. Right? That's what you want. Dad, can I spend the night with so-and-so? No. Why? Don't you hate that? Why? Like, you've got to justify and explain to them. Don't you just wish that they'd say, okay and just walk away they never do guess what when god says no do we ever go okay no we do our own little stomp the floor and you know beat our fist and why and we get mad at god listen to me are you on the verge of a very bad decision because you're fed up and I'm tired of this and God I've waited and I've been patient and I've been asking and I've been begging and I've been praying about this and you're not coming through and I'm done and the next step is I'm stepping over the edge I'm telling you it's way more stressful on the other side of the uh, it's, it's, it's way more stressful on the other side of the edge than it is the edge you're on right now when you step over it goes through the roof. Don't do it. You might be here and you'd say, no, Brett, I <laughs> wish I'd heard this sermon last week or last month or last year. It's too late for me. I, I've already gone over the edge and I've already, I'm already in the middle. I've already experienced all the pain you're talking about. I'm smack dab in the middle. Hear me very clearly. God's grace is so much bigger than any stress, any pain, any failure, anything that you've done. God's grace is way bigger than that. And all you have to do is come back and say, Lord, you're the boss. You're the boss. Come back to Jesus. Nobody is outside the grace of God. Nobody. Are you willing to surrender to the purposes of God? Eleven of them were, of the disciples, and we name our kids after them, right? You know any kids named Judas? <laughs> See, 
It's just not cool to go to school with the name of Judas. You just, you know, if my kid, my mom had named me Judas, I'd gone to school and said, my name is Tom. You know, I, not, not wearing Judas around. We don't, nobody wants to be Judas. He missed an incredible opportunity because he would not put down his own agenda. Nobody wins a tug of war with God. The question this morning is this. Are we going to learn from the mistakes of Judas or are we going to repeat them? That's really the question. You may be here. You may have never made a decision to follow Christ. I'm not going to blow sunshine up your skirt and tell you that it's an easy thing. It is not an easy thing. It's a very difficult thing. Talk to anybody in the room who's a believer, and they will tell you it's the hardest thing they've ever tried to do because you are constantly asked to subvert your will to the will of God. And I don't know about you, but I have a huge will. I have, I have a, a voracious appetite to get what I want. And God says, Brett, I'm in charge of this whole deal, not you. And so it's a constant fight with me. God, this is what I want. God says, I know that's what you want. You're not getting it. Here's where we're going. And so, you know, I'm not saying that this is easy. I am saying that when you come to Christ, you will know your purpose. You will know what you're called to. You'll have a compass about you. Life is going to make sense for you. Is it always easy? No, but I'm telling you this, it's way easier than living outside the will of God and making bad decision after bad decision and creating yourself this monstrosity of a life and you go, how in the world did I get here? I pray, hope, at the end of our singing time, if you've never made a decision for Christ, today's the day you do that. Let's pray together, then we'll stand and sing. Lord, would you just help us as a church get to the place where we we really are not in this for us anymore and we're in it for you god would you help us to see that that really is the the place where it's a point of maturity and we are becoming the person that you want us to be and created us to be when we are willing to look at you and say god not my will be done but yours and we somehow can expect this of our kids and not expect this of ourselves. Father, transform the people at this church so that daily uh, we really are answering the question correctly. I'm in this for you, God, and I'm not in this for me anymore. And when you say no, it's a firm no, and I don't even ask why. We're just not going there. It takes a, a big person to do that, God takes a mature person the kind of person we want to be it's in Jesus name we pray amen